You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Tuesday afternoon, we're here from 2 to 4 p.m. We thank you for joining us on your rainy Tuesday afternoon here in Auburn, Alabama. The number to call, 334-321-1390. Once again, phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Levi, it got cold again. How you doing, my man? Yeah, I said the weather was bad yesterday. Talk about today. It's cold and wet and rainy. I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. I woke up and I saw how cold and wet it is. I just well, you're to... here. I appreciate it. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I love coming here. I love being in here talking to you. But you know something about when you wake up in the morning and you just see it raining outside. You just want to curl up, throw something on TV, binge watch a TV show, and just eat some junk food all day. But I'm here. I'm ready to talk some sports. We got a loaded show for you guys today. Big game tonight with Auburn basketball. We got some Auburn football talk as well. I'm excited. That's right. We got a lot of stuff planned for everybody today. Auburn football talk is where we're going to start with it here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're going to continue our Auburn depth chart series every week leading up to the A-Day game. We will do this once a week. We will examine a position on Auburn's depth chart. Already we've done quarterbacks and running backs through this series up to this point. We're now on to our third position group that we're going to look at and every week we will do this at least once a week a new position each week all the way through special teams and that will take us all the way up to a day game week which is in april what is that april 17th am i right on that that seems that seems right off the top of my head i'm, I'm gonna double check for something you subconsciously is telling me april 17th i know you're checking on that but our position group today is tight ends of course, we've still got offensive line and wide receivers to run through here. And Levi, you're giving me the head nod. It is April 17th. So that's what we're working towards there is Saturday, April 17th with this depth chart series. We're going to examine it. And what we're going to do is we are going to predict what we think the depth chart looks like at this position group going into A-Day. This 100% can change through the course of the summer and into fall camp based off of new freshmen coming in but this is what we think and then based on what we see at a day this is just what we think it looks like right now going into a day we will do this again during the summer when we get into you know media day and we're amped up and it's the off season but you're so close to football and everybody's talking about football at that time of year that's when we'll revisit this again and do our preseason depth chart series but let's get into it our a-day depth chart series here we're on to tight ends we've already done quarterback and running backs earlier in this offseason earlier in the month or last month I should say now we're into tight ends we'll do receivers next week and then offensive line two weeks from now on to tight ends now and at the top of my depth chart or the both of our depth charts here 
We've got John Samuel Shanker Jr., six foot three, two hundred forty-one pounds. He was the leading receiver among tight ends last year that caught a pass. He had nine catches for ninety-seven yards. Could not break the century mark there. That's a really good one-game tally right there, ain't it? <laughs> he didn't get all of that in one game. He got all of that in one season. But John Samuel Shanker Jr., six foot three, two hundred forty-one pound tight end, and I think he looks the most like a tight end, or at least a modern-day tight end out of all four of these guys that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I agree with that. He's he looks the most ready right now as a tight end. He looks the most in a, like he looks the most tight end build at this current moment. I mean, you got to, you know, kind of throwing out a little precursors to what we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. I think he's the guy going in. He's got the most leadership. Some like Pegues is going to have to absolutely wow them to kind of overtake Shanker. Going into A-Day. It could happen later on the season a lot easier, but going into A-Day, I think it's Shanker's job. I mean, I don't think there's any real competition unless someone just wows them. Like, I think they got to wow I think there's room for competition in the tight end room. I mean, there's room for competition. I just don't see that. I don't don't envision that he's not going to be the guy going into A-Day. I think he just has... He's he's just the guy going in. Someone else is going to have to really step up and kind of wow them, in my opinion. Well, he's one of the few guys in this room that has actually shown the ability to catch a pass in an actual ball game right we haven't seen any of the other guys really do it Pegues only had seven catches Brandon Frazier had two and Luke Dill had two he has nine but the reason why I think there is a lot of competition or room for competition in this position group is because Really, none of these guys have shown themselves to be a consistent pass catcher in this offense. It's felt like Auburn has recruited H-back more than they've recruited tight end. And John Samuel Shanker always felt like he was lining up in the backfield coming out of that H-back position rather than truly on the line of scrimmage. I think when I'm evaluating John Samuel Shanker as a tight end in terms of being a pass catcher, I think he's got blocking down. Now, I don't think we've seen him truly line up on the line of scrimmage and have to be a pass blocker or a run blocker from his original position being on the line of scrimmage but I think we've seen him as a lead blocker from his H-back position so I think he can do that and obviously Gus Malzahn and the Auburn offensive coaching staff felt the most comfortable with John Samuel Shanker at that H-back position and in terms of a pass catcher among the amongst this group because he had nine catches for 97 yards which led the room but I still don't think any of these guys listed today or any of the guys in the tight end room have shown themselves to be consistent pass catchers and all of them feel like they're lacking some quality in terms of being a consistent pass catcher it doesn't feel like it's any of their primary roles for why they were brought to Auburn or at least we haven't seen it yet yeah we haven't seen that I think that I mean I'll agree with you 100% I think they were brought in to play that h-back role to play that blocking scheme the run heavy offense that we saw mostly throughout Gus Gus Malzahn's tenure you really wanted those guys you wanted big guys like J.J. Pegues going in there to block you didn't want them going out there and catching passes I mean it was fun though it was fun to see but just think about over the years think of a guy who's in the NFL right now and CJ Uzama he really didn't even catch that many passes at Auburn he was blocking most of the time and he could catch but he looks like a true pass catching he does tight end. yeah he, that's the difference he had on these guys he but, could catch when he did he just never really did it at Auburn but you compare him to Brandon Fulce who was on the roster at the same time as him and Fulce largely pass blocked or run blocked both Almost always blocked. I don't. I don't even. Rem- I barely Didn't remember. Didn't really him. catch a whole lot of passes. I don't remember him catching. I don't remember him catching hardly any passes. Just a very few 
I mean, I, I'm probably going to look up those stats off the air and see how many he actually caught over his career at Auburn. It didn't seem like he was really relevant in the passing game. And a lot of folks are going to bring up, well, the scheme never really incorporated tight ends. And there's been a debate over the years about the tight end group. This is a fun group to talk about because everybody wants Auburn to throw to the tight ends. And the scheme didn't have a room for him. But you have to ask yourself, did Auburn have the personnel to have room for him in the scheme? That's the other question that you have to ask yourself. And I'm still trying to answer that question with this group. Auburn finally has bodies in the tight end room that they can throw to. But when I said a little bit earlier about John Samuel Shanker and some other guys, when I evaluate them as pass catchers, I think they're missing some qualities that make them truly look like a modern-day pass-catching tight end. I don't think that exists on Auburn's roster right now. Shanker doesn't look fleet of foot or overly athletic. In baseball, he's a designated hitter, right? Like, he's not in the field, you know what I'm saying? And in football, he's up, like, there, he's up there for power and to hit. He's not up there to be... Like you said, fleet of foot. He's a bulkier guy when you look at his frame. Of course, he's the slimmest tight end on the roster right now at 241 pounds, but he just doesn't strike me as fleet of foot, but neither do any of these other guys on the roster. Like JJ Pegues, he's not out there, he's not out there for his route running. You know, he went he ran one route this year and it was catch it in the flats, my man, and then turn around and try and get him squared up on a defensive back. So I think Shanker has showed most out of this entire group in terms of route running and different concepts that they've gotten him involved in I mean they've at least have have had this guy run wheel routes you know he's done a little bit more in the past game which is why I think he ends up number one on this on this depth chart it's at just, tight end. it's just from what we've seen it's it's just from what he's we just have not seen. your prototypical modern day pass catching tight end yeah he's and not okay. he's not that it's, it's okay he had but he has shown the most out of all the other guys that we have and he could easily be his his position could be usurped by one of those guys if they show more we just haven't seen it from him in terms of modern day pass catching tight end on this roster JJ Pegues isn't it Brandon Fraser could be but he's 6'7 270 so a huge frame should be a nightmare for anybody to cover but we really haven't gotten an opportunity to see this guy in terms of what is he like as a route runner what is he like when he does go beyond the line of scrimmage, 5, 10 yards, 15 yards down the field, what does he look like? He only had two catches for 13 yards. And then Luke Deals at 6'6", 247, similar to Shanker. I like the build in that 240 to 250 range because those guys tend to be a little bit more fleet of foot than the 270s to 300 guys at, at tight end. Those guys look more like a tackle, right, than they do a tight end. But we haven't seen anything Luke Deal either. He's got two catches for 11 yards last year. So... We just haven't seen it with any of these guys, and I don't know why we haven't. Is it because they can't do it, or is it because this coaching staff just didn't want to incorporate that into their scheme? We're going to find out this year because I think this coaching staff is going to incorporate tight ends because that's more of what Bobo does as an offensive coordinator. Bobo is up with the times. He's not. We, we have used the terminology pro-style tendencies with Bobo, because in this day and age of college football, you see a lot of teams with four wide receiver sets. I mean, just watch Alabama. They're going to throw four wide receivers out there a lot of times. They'll have a tight end out there, too, because they've had the personnel for it. But everything in college football these days has trended towards a little bit more finesse and spreading you out horizontally. Tight ends don't really achieve that end. Bobo brings a pro-style history to a spread offense because you're still going to line up in the shotgun 
I think you'll see Auburn under center more than we did against Gus uh, than than we did under Gus Malzahn because Gus Malzahn never really did it. It was only when he was trying to get cutesy with like quick huddles and whatnot. But there's I, a I pro the style spin. So there's a pro style spin on a spread offense, and that's going to incorporate the tight end. The tight end is a big part of that. That's what Bobo is going to bring to the table, and and that's a trend I think also happening at the next level in the NFL which is going to be good for recruiting because I think if Armour can develop this position out, maybe you can send a couple of guys to the league and you can begin cultivating a good position group here. But you just look at some of the better teams in college football, you can name some hot shot tight ends off of those rosters, look no further than in the SEC with Florida and Kyle Pitts and what a machine he was. He was a wide receiver in a tight end's body. I was salivating every time I watched Florida this year. I mean, that guy. Because you want him to be on your NFL team. As in, me and my brother, every time he called the ball that we were watching a Florida game together, we just look at each other and go, Sundays. Sundays. 100%. Because that kid is going to be playing. I mean, he's going to be. A, he's probably going to be a top 10 pick, if not even higher than that. Who was the Texas A&M tight end who had two touchdown catches on Auburn? <laughs> That's a tough one for me to remember. I should remember his name because he had two touchdown catches on Auburn, but there's another example. Alabama's had a couple of good tight ends here and there. Not on this previous roster. Obviously, they've had good ones, but not as good as what they've had in the past with guys like O.J. Howard, you know. But LSU had had Moss a couple of years ago. There, there are good tight ends emerging more and more throughout college football, and, and they get used. Weidermeyer? Yes, that's right. That is it. And he had a couple of touchdown catches against Auburn I mean you got matchup nightmares I don't know if Auburn has matchup nightmares at tight end right now but I think they're going to get incorporated more into the system go go through and look at Penn State and Miami's highlights this past year and look at their tight end production I mean you have Fryermuth out of Penn State it's a guy that I know a lot of SEC watchers probably don't pay attention to but go watch that kind of dynamic ability that that guy has at tight end and you'll you'll be sitting there wanting to have a guy like that you want a guy who is athletic, you want your, for NFL comps, you want your Travis Kelsey, you want your George Kittle, you want a guy who can make a difference at tight end. You said it best, match-up nightmare. When they get put, when, or you know, when they end up with a linebacker on them, it's easy for them. And then if they draw a defensive back on them, that's just opening up your box wide receivers. Yeah, you're, you're, you're bigger than them. You can box them out, and then you're going to have a receiver on someone who – or you might have a safety on a receiver, right? Yeah, you're gonna get that's a better a mismatch. You're gonna get a better matchup somewhere else. And that's why you want a tight end that can produce and is a matchup nightmare, at least from a physical standpoint, athletic standpoint, because all that's going to do is just help your scheme and get guys in better positions to catch the ball, even if it's not your tight end. And it's easier in college football to get mismatches because there aren't as good of defensive backs out there in college football. You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content. And speaking of that content, got a preview article up on that Auburn-Alabama basketball game happening tonight. We got some Auburn baseball news on the side as well. Trace Bright named the SEC Baseball Pitcher of the Week. Auburn baseball game today, though, canceled against Jacksonville State. Bad weather. I should say canceled, postponed into April so we got a little while before those two teams take on each other but 
unfortunate weather ruining some baseball but you get used to it at this time of year yeah that's that's one of the unfortunate things about the beginning of the baseball season is where you just if it, it feels like for the first month ish half of the month of the baseball season you're just dealing with rain and sloppy weather yeah. every single day i mean we've seen the sun probably like twice in the past like two weeks down here in auburn it's it's not fun. I miss it. I need my vitamins, man. I miss I miss the sun. I'm going I'm getting cabin fever over here. Auburn basketball tangling up with Alabama tonight. Just a reminder, phone lines are open. Call in at 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Thoughts on the basketball game tonight. Thoughts on the tight end discussion that we were just having. We will revisit the Auburn depth chart series again during today's show to go through the rest of the depth chart that we have for tight ends. If you miss any of that conversation that we had, and to open up the show today go and find that wherever you get your podcast transitioning over to Auburn basketball though once again taking on the number eight ranked Crimson Tide that are now at least they at least have a share of the regular season championship but I have a feeling they've got it locked down they're going to win out or if they win tonight it is all theirs it is 100% theirs they won't have to share it with anybody but they've at least locked down a share of the regular season championship the news about today is, or, or the way that people are talking about tonight's game, is will Sharif Cooper play? And we're not going to know that until, if at all, 10, 15 minutes before tip. And if not that, until those two teams step out on the floor. I don't think you're going to know until you see him sitting, if you either see him out there on the court or you see him sitting on the sideline not dressed up. I could totally see them have him out there in warm-ups. But just because he's out there on warm-ups doesn't mean he's playing. No, not at all. And he will travel with the team. That is That has been stated that he will travel. But he did not practice yesterday, which is not good to bode for you to uh, play in the game tonight. I don't feel like he's going to end up playing. I think he's going to go up there and maybe just kind of be a guy who is standing there. And they're going to think, oh, he's going to play. And then he doesn't play at the end. But I could also, I could also see Bruce Pearl just pulling one and being like, yeah, I'm just going to keep kind of kicking this can along the road and saying yeah he may play he might not play and then throw him out there so are you sure he didn't practice yesterday i thought that's what i saw i thought i saw that i he think didn't that was two days ago that oh two days practice. two days i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm gonna get my days mixed up he didn't practice two he days said ago. it yesterday that he yes. didn't practice yesterday that was that's, his quote yesterday that's what i was making sure my <laughs> yesterday is yesterday yesterday is <laughs> yesterday yeah he didn't practice sunday is what i've meant to say right not monday i am being pulled closer and closer to the side of he will play Yesterday I wasn't that confident, but maybe I've just been on Twitter too much and seeing too many Alabama fans saying that he's going to play. And of course, that's just Alabama folks saying, well, I'd expect them to play because that seems like something Auburn would do, that they're going to go out and give them their very best shot. And their very best shot is with Sharif Cooper out there on the floor. And you look at how Sharif Cooper made his debut. People didn't know anything until the day of the ball game, unless you were up into the wee early hours of that morning around midnight maybe a little bit before then if you're on social media and you start seeing some rumors trending out there about him possibly playing the next day but for all intents and purposes that was a game day decision to get Sharif Cooper out there folks didn't know anything about that of course the nature of that situation it's not like it was a game day decision we started hearing rumblings that maybe he's cleared and he gets cleared right there in the 11th hour for that Alabama game but everything was hush-hush. This is something you keep hush-hush going into this rivalry game because it affects how you prepare for Auburn. It affects how you prepare for your opponent. It shouldn't, 
But in the back of your mind, you're like, well, man, this guy might play, right? Like, you just don't know. You can't write him off that he's not going to play out there. I've got a feeling he takes the floor tonight. That's why I said I could see Bruce Pearl. I have no inside information on this, though. Just Just, just just, just, disclaimer, I have no inside information on that. I have no sources. That is just gut feeling. I am closer to him playing tonight. I could be wrong. He could not play. I have no inside information. I'm closer to the opposite side. I'm I'm very close. I'm torn because I could easily see the situation you're talking about where all week, you know, Bruce Pearl just kind of or they just kind of go along like is he playing is he not just to kind of mess with the Alabama prep for this game. I know coach Nate Oates said that they're preparing like he's going to play for this game as you should. I think that's the team you should prepare for more so than the team without him. I could see him, you know, kind of being kept under lock and key in terms of oh, he might play, he might not, and then playing. But I could also see the other way where he just kind of comes up there, gives him hope that he might play, and then doesn't play at all. I could see both situations happening. Again, I hit on this this yesterday where I saw the line for this game, and that is what kind of steers me to think that Shreve Cooper won't play because Alabama is favored by 11 points in this ballgame. Yesterday, and this is a tweet from Cecil Hurt at Cecil Hurt, Alabama coach Nate Oates says UA will prepare as if Auburn point guard Sharif Cooper, who has missed two games with an ankle injury, will play Tuesday, although listed as doubtful. Quote, I've used doubtful before too, and the kid ended up playing, end quote, Oates said, adding it's a rivalry game. So there's another coach, right, saying what we just said there, like, possibly leading on the other team that he's doubtful oh but he he's gonna play because this is this is the type of game that these players that really want to get in that that they're gamers they're competitors you don't get held out from these games and you know what that shows us none of us know there, there there's what two people that probably know right now or maybe more than two people the Auburn coaching staff I would assume knows and Shreve Cooper knows probably the team knows none of us we're just we're just taking guesses you think he's gonna play I'm gonna go on the side I don't think he's gonna play it's just it's up in the air with that being said, if he does play, and maybe I'm reading in too much to it, I think it bodes well for him returning for another season at I, Auburn. Yep, I, I knew the second you started saying that. That's what I was thinking, too. If he plays tonight, I think that really does bode well for him. Because, because if you're going to the league and you've already you made ri- that decision. What are you going to risk? What exactly. Gonna, that, at least made, that at least means that he's still considering coming back. That means he is not sold on the NBA. Because if he goes out there and plays, you're thinking – Man, what do you got? If you're going to the league, what do you got to lose? Why are you going out there? Now, it could just be that maybe he wants to go out there and play for his guys. You know, why did Derrick Brown come back to Auburn for his senior season when he was a first round pick that year? You know, some guys just want to play because they love the game and they love their teammates. But in this day and age, when you're looking at athletes, especially in basketball, and with two games left and you're already hurt, why are you rushing to get back out there? And nothing to, nothing to play for for your team. Nothing to prove. Sharif Cooper's not moving the needle on his draft stock in a positive direction over the next two games. Unless it's he, not happening. Unless he comes out and lights it up from three-point land, he's not changing that draft, draft stock whatsoever. And even that, I don't think that affects him too much. Right, and, and that's not me taking a knock on Sharif Cooper in terms of his draft stock. I just think that they, they, all know. The, right, they know everything they need to know about him so far that you're going to get out of him this season. Like His next two games will not move the needle in any direction, down or up, in terms of his draft stock, because I don't expect him to deviate too far from his average performance that he has put on the floor for Auburn. And his average performance that he's put on the floor for Auburn has earned him a draft stock 
of a top 10 pick, possibly. He's definitely a lottery pick. When when they know what you are. I mean, think about this. Kyrie Irving played, what, 11 or 16 games at Duke. He was number one overall pick. They saw what they needed to see out of him. It's hard they, to move the needle. They've seen what they – he might can move up, a, a you know, two, three spots or move down two, three spots here and there. I think he's kind of locked into that 10 – like the top 10 range from what we've seen he would have to come out and just look abysmal if he came out and played like bad bad but even then I don't think that's going to move him too far because of what you've seen from him so far in this season I think he's locked in to that range like you said no no not too much of a deviation from where he's going to be he didn't have anything to prove man if he comes out and plays I think that means a lot for him coming back next year or just the kid's heart in general. He might just yeah. like to play basketball, and he might just love this team. What do the betting lines look like for tonight's game? And then in terms of what those lines say about tonight's game, in terms of us trying to make a, a pick or a selection? It's worrisome. It's not good for. It's not looking good for Auburn. Auburn's going to open up as 11-point underdog, which means they are catching 11 from the get-go. problem I have with that is there's about 68% of the bets going towards Auburn. You got about 86% of the money going towards Alabama. So 32% are betting on Alabama, but they are bringing in 86% of the money, which means... Those are the sharp people. Sharp people, big money. They are locking it in on Alabama. I think what could happen here is you see people with... You see people who are looking at this game saying, you know what, there is a chance that Auburn's best player does not play. And if Auburn's best player doesn't play this could be a favorable line. How bad of a beat? Look, I would avoid this game like the plague, first of all, because A, you don't know if Sharif Cooper's going to play, but B, do you really want to set your mind on Alabama and the way that they've been playing recently? And that's Because they could get caught at any point with the way their offense is firing off right now. I think that's the reason you're seeing people take to this game. I, I think should say misfiring. You're seeing a chance at value if it works out. Think about when you're drafting a prospect who has raw talent. This game is raw talent in terms of you might catch a good value on Alabama and look at them at 11 and you know look at them as an 11-point favorite. Shreve Cooper doesn't play. Alabama comes and shoots lights out like we have seen them perform before this season and then just absolutely blows this game out of the water and you caught it at a good value. You could also see it on the other side. You could see Sharif Cooper come out and play, and it's a close game, and then you're sitting there looking like a fool with egg on your face for you know thinking that this game was a value spot for and you. People got burned by Auburn last week when Sharif Cooper didn't play because they thought yep. he was, and then the Sharks Auburn, were Auburn was the favorite. They were, and then they got smacked. Stay with us here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joins us on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the line now, joining us for today's show. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? What's going on, guys? I hope you guys are doing well, too. You got a big win over Tennessee over the weekend for Auburn Hoops, trying to move that into a win over Alabama tonight, right, guys? That's right. And you guys are just holding on right now, ain't it? 
Well, you know, hey, you lock down. Uh, I mean, you lock down the SEC regular season championship. You're five and three over your last eight. But I mean, who's to complain? Alabama did what they needed to do in SEC play to win the uh, regular season title. Now you're just trying to get better each and every game as you uh, head towards the SEC tournament and and the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I say that jokingly, like you guys are just hanging on because that that for some reason has become the narrative about Alabama basketball right now. How much credence do you give to that? about them just hanging on right now is this season you know achievements because uh, because people uh, on the one hand earlier this year when Alabama was super hot still undefeated in the SEC folks were talking about them being a potential one seed they're on the two line right now and pretty much every bracketology I see they were talking about them as a final four team as a team that could possibly shock the world and go and win a national championship but now everybody's talking about them like oh, that this team could be a sexy team to bounce out of your bracket on the first weekend for an upset, maybe round of 32, because obviously they'll still be a two-seed. They ain't losing to a 15. How much credence do you give to that position that folks have on Alabama basketball right now? Um, I think if you look at their last eight and you say they're five and they're five and three, they've lost to three ranked teams. So, And you're going to play really good teams down the stretch. So... When you look at Alabama and who they're going to be playing in the NCAA tournament, you can easily be playing, you know, a, a mid-major conference champion that's got a, you know, a 22-5 and five record, and they're playing great basketball. So Alabama's going to have to cross its T's, dot its I's, get better shooting the basketball, keep playing elite defense. I do give a little credence to that. Alabama's not played great basketball over the last 10 like they did over the first 10 in SEC play, but... I was at the gym earlier talking to some guys at the gym, and they were like, this Alabama team, is they're, they're tough to read. And I said, but here's what makes Alabama so scary. I said, at any moment, they can go on an eight-game run where they shoot 47% from three, 50% overall from the field, play great defense, and, and they could not lose a game. I think that's what's the most intriguing about this team, that if Shaq, Petty, Herb, Bruner gets back into the mix, Rojas starts playing a lot better. They could be that team over the first part of SEC play in the snap of a finger, and the next thing you know, Alabama's in the Elite Eight, Final Four, playing for a national title. Who knows? I'm just saying that team is still there. It's all the same guys. Can they get to that level again? We'll see. But their elite defensive play guys has has kept them in game. So, yeah, you can say they're not shooting the ball well. I still think they die by the three a little bit. They don't live and die by it. But sometimes if it's not falling, these games are getting a lot closer like they did Saturday against Mississippi State. But in the blink of an eye, this team could easily turn into that team that was playing, that was 10-0 in SEC play and scoring 100 points a game. I think that's what scares most of college basketball about Alabama because they know it's asleep right now, and if it wakes up, it could be a lot of trouble. Jeremy, you used a taboo phrase from Nate Oates. You used the live and die by the three. Now, you definitely – Yeah, don't say it, right? But what do you think about his comments on that? Because he said uh, – and this isn't a direct quote, but essentially paraphrasing here, he said that if folks think that this team lives lives and dies by the three, they don't know what they're talking about. I love that you bring up the defense because people don't talk about Alabama's defense enough. They're a top-five defensive team in the country, I think. Well, let me tell you where Alabama – has died by the three. A loss at Oklahoma, a loss at Missouri, and a loss at Arkansas. Alabama did not shoot the three ball well in any of those games, and if they slack in defense a little, and they played pretty good defense in two of those games, they didn't even give up 70. But if, if they're not shooting the ball well and they're playing good teams, you got to realize that's the last three ranked teams Alabama's played 
They've lost all of them. And, yeah, they're all on the road, down the stretch. You're not going to have any games in Coleman. From here on out, I mean, it's, it's games away from Coleman Coliseum. They're going to have to find a way to hit shots and be more consistent. Alabama put up 61 shots the other night other against Mississippi State. I think 32 of them were from three. They shot poorly, able to win because of defense. But to say that, no, it doesn't matter what Alabama shoots from three-point land. They're going to be fine because they play great defense. I think that's um, being very short-sighted and not looking at the big picture that Alabama's 5-3 and three over the last eight, but they've lost to the only three good teams they've played down that stretch, and they've played very marginal games against South Carolina, a horrible basketball team, beat them by three. They played great against Georgia. They put up 115 points in that game because they lived by the three in that one. And when Alabama lives by the three guys, they're scared, very scared. Nobody wants to see Alabama live by the three because if they're knocking it down, you're not going to beat them. And then you come back Saturday against Mississippi State and you shot the ball horribly, putridly, and able to scrape by with a five-point win against a team that's not very good either. Continuing on this topic of Alabama basketball, taking on Auburn tonight, we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports here with us on the line. Do you think Sharif Cooper's going to play? You know, uh, NATO's admitted, hey, I've used the doubtful phrase. I've, I put them on the depth chart as doubtful. Um, on the injury sheet, and sometimes you play those guys. It just depends on if Sharif Cooper was a guy from Montgomery, Alabama, that went to Auburn because he loved Auburn and he wanted to beat Alabama, I'd say he'd play. But this is a guy with an NBA future, no real tie to the roots of this basketball rivalry, which is still a great basketball rivalry. And what makes it great is does Alabama and Auburn have both been you know, super successful over the last few years. They've also been horrible over the last few years in some periods, and you never want to lose this game. I don't think Sharif is going to play. If he does play, how healthy is he? Um, I, I think if he doesn't play, this isn't going to be in Auburn, Tennessee, where Bruce Pearl finds a way to win that game. If Sharif Cooper doesn't play in this game, Alabama may light this Auburn team up pretty good in, uh, in Coleman. All right, so give me your prediction for tonight. Tell me what happens, why it happens, and who wins. I think Alabama gets back to the three ball a little bit. I think that they can shoot around – 39 to 42 percent from deep I think they're going to shoot a lot of them like they shot nearly 30 or right at 30 against Mississippi State and if they shoot 40 percent from there Alabama's going to be in the the low to mid 80s and without Sharif I'm trying to figure out where those points are going to come from Auburn's going to have to get blistering hot from three to keep up I think Alabama probably wins this one 82 63 82 65 somewhere in there Coleman even without Fans, a lot of fans in attendance. This has still been a tough place to play for opponents coming into into Coleman Coliseum this year. Give me Alabama by fifteen uh, with Auburn without Sharif. If Sharif plays, guys, I think it could still be a very, very, very close game, but probably an Alabama win. Moving forward after this, going into the SEC tournament, who do you think is Alabama's biggest competition? Who are they fearing the most going into the tournament? No, I think South Carolina. I mean, excuse me, I think Arkansas. I don't know why I said South Carolina. But <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, definitely know, not, definitely <laughs> not the Gamecocks, guys. No, I think Arkansas, man, they're playing some great basketball. They're going on a little bit of a run, and that's also what everybody looks at, right, is, oh, this team is hot right now. And a lot of teams keep that thing rolling. Once they get great at the end of conference play, they roll into the SEC tournament, and you have tough teams to beat. And with a year with Kentucky being so bad and some – Auburn being a little bit off its game, I don't really think they can play in the tournament in, in in Auburn. I think Arkansas, as you sit right now, is definitely Alabama's biggest threat, and those teams have split on the regular season. Arkansas just beat Alabama by 15, and it probably didn't even feel that close. 
would not be surprised if these two teams battling it out. All right, Jeremy, let's transition over to here to football just for a moment before we let you go. Ty Simpson, five-star quarterback, committed last week to Alabama on, uh, I believe it, it was early last week, uh, early mid-last week. He made that commitment known, and he is the only five-star in that 2022 class right now. That's fledgling for Alabama, but you know they'll turn it on. You were personally excited about this commitment. What excites you so much about five-star quarterback Ty Simpson coming to the Crimson Tide? I think you got a mix of Mac, Jalen, Tua, and Bryce Young. Now, don't get me wrong; he's not. That's high praise. He's not going to be four X Mac Jones. Don't get me wrong, but the guy can run. He can throw. He's got good size that Tua didn't really have. He's got the feet. He's accurate. And for Alabama, I think you really noticed that this guy wanted to be at Alabama. He's a Tennessee hometown kid. Still picked Alabama. Had a chance to go follow DJ Ungalalele as I hope I pronounced that right. That was Clemson. perfect. He had a he, he had a he had an offer at Clemson. I mean, this is one of the best players in the country, and for this guy to be as I think he's just so good at his age, and he's just going to roll into his next year and his in his senior year. And I think he's really he may end up being the number one quarterback overall in next year's class. Alabama fans be very excited. You got a couple years of Bryce Young here, so you know you have a good quarterback on the roster. Give Bryce Young two years. He's probably an NFL guy, and then you can roll into a guy like Ty Simpson if Alabama and these quarterback coaches um, can keep rolling with what they've done with two and Mac over the last few years. And, and talk about Bill O'Brien, right, coming in and making an instant impact. The number one recruiter on this guy, able to pick up where Stark left off with him, sell him on the NFL experience, sell him on the system, sell him on the pro-style pro, pro spread. I mean, credit to Bill O'Brien coming in and making an instant impact on this guy when all of his recruiters that were already at Alabama essentially landed on other staffs. Jeremy, I appreciate you hopping on with us today, my man. I hope you have a good evening. Thanks, guys. Roll Tide. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on with us today here on On the Line. He's going with the Crimson Tide with his pick tonight. I would expect nothing less from my good friend from uh, slightly up north in the state. Um, So I appreciate Jeremy Law once again hopping on the show with us this afternoon we'll continue on with more of on the line on the other side of this break we'll be wrapping up hour number one coming up in just a moment we got some college football news out there we'll be back in just a second on the line on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm and espn 1067 Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us in that previous segment. If you missed any of that, be sure to go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search On the Line and it'll be there right there for you. Go and find it. Go and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're anywhere you can find us fun lines are open 334-321-1390 is the number to call once again the number to call 334-321-1390 find levi and i on twitter at point gardner at levi fitzwater i promise some college football news coming into this segment earlier today the pac-12 the last of the power five conferences releasing their schedules and uh they're all set and ready to go they've got their full schedule out for college football next year 
And that just prompted me to go and look at some of the fun non-conference matchups happening out west. And I think it'd be a fun segment here just to kind of look forward to football season coming up. Some of those fun matchups that we got out there in the Pac-12. Levi, you got that schedule up, my man? I do. I got it up over here. I'm looking at them, looking at all these games. There's some good ones. There's some good non-conference games that I'm looking at. Please don't do to me what you did with the SEC non-conference Oregon State at <laughs> Idaho, man, that's a good Woo. one. I think that's a rivalry game, actually, between Ooh. those two those two programs. Those states border each other, so it makes sense. You'd be shocked. I, well, unless you've actually done this before, but I got a buddy who lives up in Seattle, and like a map, a United States map, does not do the United States justice in the northwest portion of the United States at how vast and how wide and how far apart everything is it's up large. there. Like it is, you, it is you just might endless. see that there are states that are next to each other, but they are just forever apart up there. And with like vast wilderness and all of that like up there and in the Pacific Northwest. And beautiful wilderness. Oh, he man. sends me pictures of when he's out in the woods hiking in, in Washington and, and there's just this crystal clear seawater, or not seawater, uh, crystal clear lake water mm-hmm. that is not moving it's still completely there's nothing like you don't know how deep it is because of how clear it is yep i mean that's that's the pacific northwest you got places like that washington and oregon up there i mean unreal i saw i mean this isn't quite all the way pacific northwest but seeing alvin Kamara snowboarding out in montana and i'm thinking i thought montana was just absolutely barren with nothing up there and it looked absolutely beautiful so i don't think it really does it justice how beautiful that portion of the country is up there Well, let's go through some of these non-conference games and what's catching our eyes here out in the Pac-12. And they've got some, there are several SEC Pac-12 matchups taking place. I'm not going to start with one of those. Obviously, the biggest matchup, and there's no complaints here, Oregon at Ohio State. Uh, Yeah. And it was going to happen this year at the Autzen Zoo in Oregon. It was going to be played in Eugene this year, but Pac-12 wasn't playing football and then they originally when all the dominoes started to fall at the beginning they weren't going to have any fans there they were one of the first universities to kind of pull the trigger on that they were going to forfeit that massive admission gate that they were going to have for that ball game against Ohio State it stinks for Oregon because they lose that that would have been the biggest non-conference home game possibly ever in Oregon football history at least in modern Oregon football history and now it's all Ohio State's to gain and I'm not going to say that this ranks up there for Ohio State, but because it doesn't, Ohio State's played Texas, Ohio State's played Oklahoma, those were bigger than this, but this is still a huge game in college football early next season. You just wonder how Oregon handles this ball game without Tyler Shuck at quarterback. They're going through a little bit of a transition period there. Mario Cristobal is going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah, you got a rematch of that 2014 or 2014-2015 national championship game. I mean, you know, Marcus Mariota against Cardell Jones. You get a little bit of a rematch here later on. I mean, that's a that's a big game. I would have liked to see this game happen at Oregon as well, at Eugene, just because I love Eugene. I love the stadium. Ohio State's press box is a little too far away from me. I feel like I'm watching ants when I'm watching the game up there. And that's just that's just a testament to how massive the stadium is and how much of, you know. The horseshoe. The horseshoe is just way too massive for me to watch it on TV. I, I feel like I'm watching ants. Maybe I'm just getting old, but that My is the clear. problem with the Ohio State Stadium is that it's not closed. It's a horseshoe. Yeah, but that's the thing. What that's happened the, to closed bowls? Ah, that's the that's the that's the nickname. That's the that's. But think about lure. how many more fans they can fit in there if they close it. That's true. It could be it could be better. It could be better, but it is what it is. That's the clear one that sticks out there on this schedule. I mean, there's a couple other good ones. I mean, you got Washington and Michigan. They're playing each other. A and M's going to play Colorado for the SEC. 
LSU, UCLA is a big one that I'm looking at. Still on that Oregon-Ohio State game, though, Justin Fields has gone to the league, so Ohio State's going through some quarterback things early that They're getting season. it going early. You got, you got two teams that are going through quarterback transition, right. and you get to play each other this early. Week two, yeah, week two, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to play them early on in that year. It's going to be a fun one. I think this should be a closer game simply for the fact that these two teams might not know who they are yet. And I think that will just kind of bridge the gap and keep them pretty close. I still think Ohio State should run all over these guys. I mean, I, I agree that I think Ohio State should. But what But what are they without Justin Fields? Are they going to be able to replenish? They should. They have been. But will they? Oregon. It's more about Oregon for me. They're losing a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball. They're losing some defensive backs. They're losing Panay Sewell over Oof. on the offensive line. Oregon's losing more than just, than just Tyler Shuck at quarterback they're losing a ton of supporting cast players that are really good and are have some pretty nice draft stock going into this year's NFL draft and you know all about that and so this Oregon team I think more so they're going on the road to Ohio State this Ohio State team still has you know top three recruiting classes every year the next great quarterbacks walking through the door at Ohio State probably right now is walking in the halls in Columbus Oregon on the other hand I don't know man you look at how bad they got beat by Iowa State they went four and three this past year. They were five hundred going into the Pac-12 title game. These guys, I don't think, have a whole lot. I, I, things might be about to go south for Mario Cristobal at Oregon. This could be a tough year for him coming up, especially with I think some other Pac-12 schools on the uptick. One of those being UCLA for me. Me and you're you say me and you are both big on UCLA. One of the most experienced teams in the Pac-12, maybe even the entire country. Bill Connolly for ESPN Plus. He's super high up on him as well. He's one of those metric guys, but college football version. You know, college football version of Ken Palm in basketball. He really likes his team for their experience. Experience kills Dorian Thompson. Robinson, a quarterback, is a delight to watch. This UCLA team was one of the more unlucky teams, I feel like, in the Pac-12 in 2020. All those, all those losses were close. close they were losses. all close. They were exactly. all within like one They were with one score, if I'm not mistaken. Like, all of them. This team is ready to take the next step with Chip Kelly, and it's been a long way up. He, the, the cupboard was bare for him when he came in. Now he's done some recruiting. He's done some team building. And, of course, they haven't finished high in terms of recruiting and recruiting rankings but he's gotten the players that fit his system and that's what he did at Oregon Oregon was a top 25 top 20 range kind of thing there's somewhere between 20 and 25 when they were in recruiting rankings when he was there and he built his team by getting the right guys to fit his system he, he was the guy who coined like lightning speed was what he was bringing in and athleticism not necessarily the best players in the country and it worked for him and I think it's working in UCLA people just need to be patient this year I think is the year where it, it's on the uptick for them they play LSU this year and I'm still highly LSU is highly questionable for me with this current regime and this current coaching staff now with quarterback controversy whether it's miles britton or finley or, or anybody else there but this lsu team's largely unimpressive they finished the year strong though so you wonder if that trend continues into this season but i still have questions about this coaching staff and whether or not they could end up having a, a gene chiswick like trajectory win a national championship and fired in two years i'm not that worried about lsu from the coaching staff perspective i'm more worried about them just simply from a, the the problem that lsu has always had except for one year when they won the title the quarterback problem. They always have the quarterback problem, it seems, year in and year out. I think it's no different this year. I'm also looking forward to that Week Zero game. Hawaii, they always kick off Week Zero. It's UCLA. I think that's going to be a fun one to watch for the first week of the college football season. The quarterback position is the demise for many programs out there, and it could be that for Ed Orgeron. I love that. 
Here we go. We got hour number two of On the Line coming up on the other side of this break. Stay with us on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you on the other side of this break. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. It was a great hour number one. And thank you out there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for hopping on with us. If you missed any of that conversation, we were talking a lot of Auburn basketball taking on Alabama tonight. We were getting the Alabama perspective on going into tonight's basketball game, the regular season champions, the Alabama Crimson Tide hosting Auburn tonight at 6 on ESPN2. If you missed any of that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you on today's show of On the Line. Whatever's on your mind in sports, feel free to call in and talk to us about it. We opened up the show today talking about Auburn's depth chart series. We're doing an Auburn depth chart series. We've already done quarterbacks and running backs and it's in the lead up to A Day. So if you're just now joining us and you haven't heard us do this series before, we're predicting the depth chart going into A Day. And we're doing one position group per week. And uh, so any day of these weeks, you know, leading up to it, we'll at least do once a week. We'll take a look at a position group for Auburn football. And we'll continue this depth chart series all the way leading up to April 17th, that Saturday, for A Day. So this is our A Day depth chart series. Today, it's tight ends. We had a great conversation about tight ends to open up the show. You and I consensus on at the top, it'll be John Samuel Shanker as that number one tight end going into A Day. I think he's the I think he fits the bill the most out of any of these guys on this roster at tight end for modern pass catching tight end. But that doesn't mean he's a one hundred percent fit. I don't even think he's a 75% fit. I think he's like a 50% fit. We just haven't seen enough out of this position group. We haven't seen enough out of any of these guys in terms of pass catching ability, and that includes route running, being able to get open, being able to catch the ball beyond the line of scrimmage, not out in the flats. We have not seen a whole lot of versatility out of Auburn's tight end room because they haven't been used. I think that's going to change, but uh, I'm most excited to see how they're used in A-Day. If there's anything revealed about that, see if these guys can catch passes 15, 20 yards down the field. See if they can, you know, add a little bit more to their repertoire. And I think John Samuel Shanker is the one who's most primed and ready to get into that role, considering he led the group in receptions and yards with nine receptions for 97 yards, no tight ends with a touchdown last year. But let's go down the order here now. Second, J.J. Pegues. He was a freshman last year. Like a freshman sophomore hybrid I guess you know last year didn't count so he's still a freshman this year athletically but he's been on the team for two years going into this season six foot two 300 pounds going into this season he had seven catches for 57 yards but a lot of those were on that little rollout flat play where they just kind of pitch it out there to him and let him square off on a defensive back 
Still, seven catches for 57 yards doesn't shout efficiency for me in terms of pass catching. J.J. Pegues, once again, at 6'2", 300 pounds. I think we could see him shed some weight and possibly look a little bit more like your prototypical modern-day tight end. Yeah, I mean, you saw he's a fan favorite last year. You know, everybody loved the Wildcat formations with him. They love seeing him run over guys out in the open field, you know, taking advantage of the smaller defensive backs compared to him. I think if this guy sheds some weight and looks, you know, just slims down in terms of a more pass-catching tight end build, Right now, he is definitely looking towards just a pure blocking tight end. I think if he sheds a little bit and kind of leans up, he could be a. I think he could be a real threat. I think he could be. It's yet to be seen. I just have this really good feeling that if he sheds some weight, his athleticism at his size right now, you make him look a little bit leaner, maybe get a little bit quicker, more fleet of foot, as you like to say. I think he could be a real weapon in this offense catching the football. Will that happen? Nobody knows. That's he just moves a guess. well for a 300-pound guy. He does not move well for a tight end. No, not at all. 100%. He moves well for a guy at his size. Tight end-wise, no. That's why I think if he shed some weight and started moving a little bit, getting a little bit more athletic, like more agility, a little bit faster, but I think I he wonder, could be... But I wonder, for some wild. people, though, does it move the needle? Right? Like, just because they shed 15, 20 pounds, like... Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't make them any more athletic. It doesn't make them any faster. It doesn't move the needle that much to justify dropping the weight. Sometimes it's really hard for guys to fit a mold because of those type of parameters. When you're looking at a guy who's 6'2", 300, that's a tackle, man. Or a guard. That's an offensive lineman. Have they thought about putting him at offensive lineman? Have they thought about that but at any point? we don't know anything about him as a blocker. We know him as we a quarterback. We know he trucked a dude when they – I don't remember what game that was, but I remember he trucked a dude at one point this season. Was it the Arkansas game? I think so. That's what the one that kind of comes to mind. We, we know him more as a quarterback than anything. That's, I mean, that's it. That's, we know him as a fan favorite guy. And catching the ball in the flats. He's the most enigmatic player that I could think of on this team because you just don't know what you're getting – where does he fit in a new system? You knew where he fit in Gus Malzahn's scheme. He wanted to get him the ball – and a wildcat, sort of just a power. It was a school. gadget play. Yeah, he that he, was going to guarantee you about five yards typically. Yeah, it was a gadget play yards. where you were putting a guy who was bigger than everybody else and overly athletic for his size, and you were just going to hope that he could blow through one guy, get four or five yards, and you're going to call it a day. But here's my problem with it, though, and I might catch some hate for this because everybody loves JJ Begeese, but they had to work so hard to set up the play to get it to work that's fair yeah I agree with that because the specific play that they used for him to catch passes was out of that motion where they would move him from left to right across the line or from right to left whichever way it was typically left to right though and a lot of times they would just go with the handoff but that set up the play action pass where they would roll out Bo Nix and then he would pitch it over there to him they had to set that up though with two or three times of runs and it's like, why did you go to all that effort to set up a play that only hit for eight yards a play? 57 divided by seven is about eight. It's a little over eight yards a catch. That's why fair. would you go to that trouble to do that? It just seemed that... It's one of the many things that just Gu- didn't make sense about Gus Malzahn. Well, Gus had his players that he would just fall in love with and wanted to get them the ball, get them the ball in any way possible. I mean, and get them some sort of recognition. I mean, you think about why, are, why is it on fourth and 27 you have your fullback back there running a fake out of the Wildcat, trying to throw it against the number one team in the nation in Alabama. That just doesn't make sense. Same with guys like J.J. Pegues, where sometimes you look at it and you think, 
Why is he so determined to make this work? Why did Chandler Cox spin in circles? That too. Yeah. I mean, I mean why, why is he back there to begin with to be put in the position to spin in circles like that? And the 2016 Iron Bowl, why was he the one throwing the football? Yeah, exactly. We had, I'm, it's, it's confusing. This, this is one of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing going into A-Day. I wouldn't say the most. It's just up there and things that I'm keeping an eye on. What is J.J. Pegui's role in this offense? I think I'm, it's up in the air. I'm Maybe that's at, just our conjecture. Maybe the coaching yeah. staff knows exactly how they're going to use him. Well, they like, they they like the guy. They like the guy. He's the Iron Man of the week. They like yep. him. They like him at least from a strength and conditioning perspective. They like the kid. I just don't know what – where does that translate? What – we could be wrong. He could be the number one going in. They could absolutely love this guy. He could be fitting the mold perfectly. We could just have absolutely no idea. We, we don't know. This is a new offense. This is something we haven't seen before. We don't know where he fits. Going down to third on the depth chart, somebody that I think could supersede him and possibly jump him, Brandon Frazier at 6'7", 270. I think him and Luke Deal last year, almost identical stat lines, two receptions for 13 yards for Frazier. Two receptions for 11 yards for Deal. And that wraps up the depth chart there. I mean, at third, I've got Frazier. Fourth, I've got Deal right now. Frazier at 6'7", 270. He's really still not I – mean, athletically, when you're talking about a dude weighing 270 pounds, once again, that that makes you feel that, – that's still on the much heavier end of the tight end spectrum. That kind of is shades of offensive linemen sometimes. Small offensive linemen, you know, group of five offensive linemen. But nonetheless, still 270, that's on the heavier end of the tight end spectrum. Six sevens on the taller end of the tight end spectrum as well. You don't expect them to move well. You expect them to probably be blocking-oriented tight ends. But I think this is a guy, we didn't get to see him a lot last year doing this. But from everything you hear about him as a recruit and since he's been at Auburn, is that over time he's somebody that could work in as a pass catcher at tight end. He could be a little bit more of an all-around product at tight end with that 6'7", 270 frame, should still be able to block for you well. And then also, once again, already went over his passing game ability. It's possible for him to develop into one of those true pass-catching tight ends. And if he's at 6'7", 270, good luck defensive backs trying to get around the dude. He's going to be able to box you out. And then good luck linebackers if he's fast enough you're still going to have a hard time in coverage because linebackers can't cover can't cover in college football i don't even care if you're athletically on par with the dude who's 67 270 and you're just as fast as him in a 40 time that doesn't matter you still stink in coverage and you're not going to be able to keep up with him when he runs his route and that's not saying that all of them are bad in coverage in most college, of them but most of them are there's a reason that most of the guys who get go to the league can do both they can do everything that's asked out of the linebacking position and there's a reason that good linebackers Typically hard to find. It's hard to find a guy who can cover and play that position well. I agree with you. I think the I think the guy is from a just from stat like a static you know from his appearance, from what he's got, his attributes, his height, his weight. He's I, Gronk. Gronk's six six two sixty five. I mean Kelsey same way. Six seven two seventy. Kelsey, Travis Kelsey's smaller than that actually. He's two sixty. I don't know his height though. I just know his six five six five. So close few inches here and there but he's, I mean we're getting a little bit more towards George Kittle yeah you're getting more towards that and I think that this guy could come out and really just he could impact this team if he puts it together and I, that's also to be seen with what happens with J.J. Pegues you think that he's going to end up usurping that role from him and taking it you think he's going to be the guy who comes out and leaps over Pegues after the A-Day game going into if the year Pegues at some point. If Pegues loses his spot as a tight end and isn't moving up and he's moving down, I think it's Frazier or, or Deal. 
and I'm leaning more towards Frazier just because I think we saw him more last year than maybe we saw Deal. You never know. Maybe Deal, maybe they like Deal more because Deal at 6'6", 247 may move better. He's 20 pounds lighter. You'd expect a guy who's 20 pounds lighter to move better. I can't stress that enough when you're, when you're talking about route running and trying to be able to do different things with these tight ends. You don't want a dude who waddles when he runs. You want a dude who can who looks athletic when he goes. You know, and there's a couple of tight ends on this roster right now that waddle when they run. They don't they don't look athletic. And yeah, and yes, I am kind of talking about JJ Begeese right now. He doesn't he does not he's not he, he's not limber, I guess maybe that's not that maybe that's not the right word. He just doesn't he doesn't look like he moves well compared to most tight ends. He moves well for a three hundred pound guy, but he just doesn't look like he moves well for uh for a tight end. You're gonna make a lot of enemies. You're like me over here, just how I. I hope I, it works out. It nothing would uh, nothing would be more fun to watch than a 300 pound dude running over defensive backs. You're like me hating on Cord Sandberg. I mean, that's, oh well, that's that that's ridiculous. You're talking about a guy who doesn't doesn't ever play. Come on, man. <laughs> grow up. Get a get a right number for a quarterback. Just grow. I love the 24. That that's fun for me. Uh, that's I'm, fun I'm, for me. I'm I'm gonna agree spice, with you. Spice up your life a little bit, Levi. Do you think? Do you think Brandon Frazier has a chance to become the guy? Do you think he could overtake Shanker throughout the year? Because the, I mean, the more guy, than one tight end is going to play in this offense because sure. that's the that's but, this day and age, and I think they're up with the times. So it's either going to be Pegues or Frazier for me right now, and it could be Frazier. It could be you know Deal could get into the mix maybe over Frazier. I don't know. We we it, this is the most difficult position group to talk about right now because we have seen nothing. The previous coaching staff, the previous regime was averse to tight ends. They never used them. They didn't really incorporate them in the passing game. We we said this past year in 2020, and they had 20 catches for 178 yards. We were like, oh, man, they're finally starting to throw to the tight ends. It's like, that means they weren't throwing to the tight ends at all before that. So for me, we just don't know anything about this group. So it's even hard to predict whether it's a Luke Deal or Brandon Frazier or J.J. Pegues for that second spot. But I think it's wide open after Shanker at the top. I think Shanker is the is the lead guy going into A Day no, at tight end. After that, though, I think it's wide open. A hundred percent. It's or at least in my opinion, I think it's Shanker going into A Day. But after A Day, I could see somebody leaping over him. I mean, I could see a guy like Brandon Frazier. I think he possesses a little bit more that you want. Frazier or deal. I, yeah, I say they, or. I'm doing yeah, the Gus Malzahn or thing those, on depth charts. Those two guys just. They have more upside, and if they could, they hit, were just so highly touted as tight ends when they were recruits. I mean, if if I'm not mistaken, Frazier was a four star coming in. If I'm not mistaken, it was something around that range. Go and look that up real quick. Let me see. I think he, I think he was a four star if I'm not mistaken, and I think Deal might have been a three star. But okay, yeah. So Deal's a three star, and you've got Frazier as a four star. That is correct. So you got these guys who are number nine in. tight end of the country. Yeah, I mean, I think this guy has talent. It just hasn't been used yet. I. I'm I'm pretty high on him, at least to make a big like maybe not a big step, but make a step this year. I could see him overtaking Shanker because of just his build alone. I think he could really do something like that. Pegues as well. I mean, we it sounds like we're just kind of up here, just going in circles because them. we don't we don't know. They all any of them could come out and do something because we have no idea. This these are tight ends that really were not Maybe used. Maybe that should be the title of today's show. We have no idea about Auburn's tight ends. That's a question have, on a lot of people's lips, yeah, but I'm, it's the truth. You want I'm us to excited. be transparent? I'm, the tight end position is a puzzle this year. They've a, got a lot of pieces. You just got to put together the picture, and they're going to be doing that 
beginning with A-Day through spring, and then we'll get a little bit more of that probably into fall as they begin to figure out their identity a little bit and how they want to use the position. But I do think there will be more usage of the tight end in the Auburn offense. Before we go to break here, I want to ask you a question, and then we'll move on from tight ends for the rest of the show. The question I want to, I want to put to you, I already, already calculated the total receiving yardage for tight ends this past year. As a group, the tight end room had 20 catches for 178 yards. Does the leading tight end this year in receiving yardage and catches have more than that total? Not the room, the one leader. Does he have more than 20 catches for 178 yards? I don't think so. I, I, really? I still, so you don't I, think the Auburn offense incorporates the tight ends more? I think they incorporate it more. I just don't. So you don't think anybody emerges as the go-to guy that's, at tight that's, end? I, that's, okay. that's more or less what I'm thinking. I don't think I think it's going to be more spread out. I could see you having maybe like a 15 and 13 stat line with or 15 you know catches to 13 catches with two guys instead of you know one guy getting around 20, 25. If that makes more sense, I just think it'll be more split up. Not saying that they're not incorporating more. I just think it'll be a little bit more spread out. Because I see that there's a, there are a lot of guys that can provide some sort of tight end impact. There's nobody's just setting themselves above and beyond everybody else right now in my mind. I'm gonna go yes. Twenty catches over twelve games at least is a little. It's a little under two catches a ball game. So some games they'll only have to get two. Some games they'll only have to get one. And they were averaging it at an 8.9 yards per catch clip. That's not hard to hit, even on a check down. That's just that's not hard to hit, especially with tight ends and the way that they're used in ball games. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get them moving on out routes or on on, on flag routes headed towards the boundary. You're gonna be getting them, uh, you know, going up against a linebacker in the middle of the field. It's not hard to get that eight or nine yards on the catch, especially with you know yards after catch. It's not that hard to get that nine but, I'm gonna say yes I think somebody emerges as a as a go-to guy tied in and they get fed once or twice a ball game at least to break that the 12 the 12 game season also I forgot to account that that we're gonna be playing more 13 games, games. Yeah. this team's going to a bowl game yeah um, of course yeah what are we I talking mean, about 15 yeah they're, they're going, going to the national game. championship yeah <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm leaning towards over at this point I think I am and I forgot the I forgot to think that I don't think anybody in the receiving room is going to just be an absolute stud right now as we're looking at it. So they might rely on some tight ends more, you know, more often than they have been in the past. But with that being said, a leading receiver at tight end that has a better stat line than 20 catches for 178 yards takes away from a receiver. And that shapes the receiver room a little bit. Maybe we should add to this, the receiving room is actually really difficult to predict right now. You have no idea what's going Oof. on there. That that's that is Auburn's a, that is an A day. Right now. That is an A day exclude. You're going to have to watch A day to figure that one out. Yeah, I think I'm going to change the title of today's show now from we don't have any idea about tight ends. We have zero idea what Auburn's passing game or what Auburn's pass catchers. Yeah, what Auburn's pass catchers will look like next year. There, there's no way to predict this. You've got some names that come to mind right away because of their usage in the past, but this coaching staff has no allegiance to anybody that the previous coaching staff had. Anybody could get on the field, and we'll find out on A Day. Those are the two hardest position groups to predict going into A-Day, and we'll be doing wide receivers next week on this A-Day depth chart series. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
Levi, I'm, I'm having withdrawals from not talking about Auburn baseball. I see it. You're shaking over there. You're ready to talk some Auburn baseball. Let's go. I've gone all show, not not talking about it yet. Not on Twitch. And we should have. We should have been talking about the upcoming game, but you know, that's what happens. That's what this weather is doing to them. Auburn baseball, their game today canceled or postponed against Jacksonville State today. Postponed to later on in April. Auburn baseball's Trace Bright. Yesterday we mentioned on the show he's named SEC Pitcher of the Week. I want to open this up to a larger discussion here. Could this affect the weekend rotation? I think we're going to see him on the weekend. He was not a candidate to pitch in the midweek because there is no midweek game. And then you've got the game against, or a four-game series, I should say, a four-game series against Xavier this weekend. You need an extra arm at that point. You need several extra arms, actually. I think he has to. I mean, I think he has to make his way into a starting rotation job. He he did very well his his appearances that he's made. You got four games. You got a four game series. You're gonna need the extra arms. And honestly, he's been one of the more impressive pitchers that we've had. So I will I will gladly welcome him into a starting rotation job. And I think it's gonna happen this weekend for sure. Point nine ERA last week, two and zero across his two starts. That's his ERA right now this season. Period. Trace Bright has looked really good up to this point. Only slightly concerning that he has that his strikeout numbers are a little low at, at this moment, mainly because, and we haven't gotten to watch as much ba- as much baseball, I should say, not basketball. Same with that in person, we haven't gotten to watch as much basketball and baseball this year as maybe you'd like to because of the circumstances around everything. But you just wonder with strikeout numbers a little low, you're not missing bats if the right team finds you, if the right team's hitting you those balls find gaps you get bounced off the mound but hey Tim Hudson pitched to contact too there's nothing wrong with it all right some pitchers are just more that way still a young guy he started out hot Sunday's gym against Texas A&M that's against a good team A&M's going to get things righted when they head towards SEC play there's still going to be a tough out in this conference so I hold that holds weight it's not like you just shut down Alabama A&M in the midweek I'm just pointing out potential concerns moving forward but I think he could work into Sunday I think he could work in to be your Sunday starter with how well he's done in the midweek. And we've seen Auburn move midweek guys to the weekend before. Casey Mize started out in the midweek. Ended up being one of the most dominant pitchers that Auburn baseball has ever seen, ever, in their history. So I think you could see, not necessarily Trace Bright achieve that type of trajectory, but I think you could see him work into the rotation. I was texting with with Jacob Hillman today. Uh, He's our baseball guy that we have come on our show a lot. Uh, he's a big baseball guy. Goes to all the Auburn baseball games. He stayed there for the full 33 runs against Alabama A&M earlier in the week. And, um, you know, he, th- he would agree with that sentiment as well about Trace Bright possibly working into Sunday. Mason Barnett got burned in the Friday game against Oklahoma. And so I asked you all the question on Friday, well, what happens on Sunday now in terms of a starter now that Barnett has gone 42 pitches? It's very possible that you could move Barnett back to his natural position as a closer or as a reliever and have him for possibly two games on Friday and on Sunday if you can manage that pitch count and obviously not have a 42 pitch outing on Friday but I still don't think that affects things too much you can have him ready for Sunday if he is in a relief role on Friday and you can have him still come out of the same role on Sunday and I think that's good for Auburn I think that it adds some flexibility and it adds some it adds a little bit of depth to have and and more sturdiness yeah more resolve to the bullpen and I think that's something Auburn could use they still have a pretty good bullpen but I think it adds still a little bit more uh, sturdiness to it and if Bright's comfortable in that Sunday role and Sunday's typically your pitcher by committee day I think it works out for Auburn that way I think it improves the bullpen 
and you're really not losing as much on Sunday if you could be gaining a lot with Bryant on Sunday and he could be already ready to move into that role I think he pitches this weekend because you got to have four starters at the four game series you have to you have to he has to pitch this weekend based off of just numbers Four games, you need four arms. He's the guy that you got to go to in this situation. And assuming that Greenhill is healthy, he obviously left the game on Friday with an injury. Assuming that he's healthy, he's your Friday guy. Fitz is your game one Saturday guy, I would assume. So those two are locked down. You then have to figure out as bright a Sunday starter or is he the doubleheader game two Saturday starter? You just don't know. And then does uh, Mason Barnett pitch this weekend as a starter? Auburn's going to have to juggle some arms this weekend. It'll be interesting to see what they go with on this weekend or or this weekend against Xavier yeah it's a lot we're gonna have to see what they decide on I would I would like to see Bright come out there and get a good start um I I would like to see Barnett move back into it obviously I don't think it'll happen this weekend just because it is a four-game series this weekend and he might be called on to start but I think Barnett I want to see him kind of go back in that relief just for what you said sturdy up that bullpen and going off something you said earlier speaking to Casey Mize he started today in spring training Two scoreless innings, three strikeouts, and his two innings pitch. Spring training, you know they're not going to pitch for the Tigres. For the Tigres, not you know, not a long outing, but it's spring training. Good to see him getting out there and pitching, and uh, and a good start so far. Yeah, I mean, if you pitch two innings, you get three strikeouts and scoreless innings. Pretty good, pretty good in spring training. You'll take that every time. Casey Mize is regarded as one of the hottest prospects in all of pro baseball. So he was a number one pick for a reason. That's right. And we'll see if he takes a big jump this year. 2020 kind of, it hurt farm systems everywhere. And obviously he did make the step to the Detroit Tigers starting pitching staff. He got into that last year among some other guys that that we saw at Auburn. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was another, Ben Bramer, I think was the other guy. Maybe Nationals. For some reason, I'm thinking Ben Bramer Nationals possibly possibly got in to play some. Maybe I'm a little, maybe I'm getting it mixed up with someone else, but irrelevant to our conversation here Auburn in a four-game series against Xavier this weekend that's what's up next for Auburn after the postponement of today's game against Jacksonville State now everybody can focus squarely on tonight's Auburn basketball game against Alabama the eighth ranked Crimson Tide having locked down the regular season SEC championship at least a share if they win tonight it's completely theirs Arkansas can't take it from them two losses though if Alabama were to lose to Auburn and Georgia over the next two games well then Marcus all one out. Chaos. They would have to share it. Chaos. <laughs> Chaos would ensue if that happens. Very unlikely, but we'll see if it happens. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll continue to talk about that Auburn basketball game, the Iron Bowl of basketball, tonight at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Stay with us here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. Number to call, 334-321-1390 here on your Tuesday afternoon. We've talked a lot today. Auburn football talk. We continued our depth chart series. Talk tight ends today. If you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Keeping it going here, talking Auburn basketball against Alabama tonight. Eighth-ranked Crimson Tide at home in Tuscaloosa. Kind of feels like they're due to explode offensively after having about two or three games uh, where they have been subpar offensively. But their defense has kept them winning, and that's a big reason why this team 
which has got a top three defensive efficiency, according to KimPop.com, in the entire nation. There are 350-something teams in college basketball. This team's third in defense. They're the top 1% in basketball when, it com- when, you're, when it's coming down to defense. This Alabama team, that's why they've won games when their offense has disappeared. So I do give a little bit of credence to what Nate Oates said about people not knowing what they're talking about when they say that they live and die by the three. I think it's a little harsh to say that people don't know what they're talking about because it's a half-truth. Alabama obviously is going to be a worse team if they're not hitting threes. Duh. Because every, that's their every te- every team is going to be worse if they hit exactly, and especially this Alabama team who scores a lot of their points from the three point line. It's not the be all end all for Alabama as a team, but it's the be all end all for them as an as an offensive team, right? Like their offensive game plan, they shoot so many threes that if they're not falling, they instantly become beatable by anybody. Agreed. The defense, though, is what has kept them winning. If they take any night off on defense they could be in trouble if their shots aren't falling they're more than just the three-point shot and that's where he kind of I think took offense to it but this Alabama team we've talked on and on about them this game tonight Auburn what's the betting line look like we talked about this in hour number one but let's for new listeners what's going on with the betting lines right now it's sitting at 11 it's still sitting at 11 Uh, I've seen it 11 and a half around some areas and that's Alabama favored by that much that shows me that I think Vegas anticipates Sharif Cooper not to play. I feel like that's a little high for if Sharif Cooper is playing, which it doesn't seem that he will if you're just going based off of that line alone. The big one, the one that scares me, is the amount of bets that Auburn's getting versus the money that Auburn is getting. You got about 60, what what are we sitting at? So the public wants Auburn, the Sharps want Alabama. You got 65% hitting Auburn, and then you have 80% of the money is going towards Alabama. That means that out of 35% of the bets that are going in on Alabama, they are still carrying 80% of the money going in. That just means that the people who are betting Alabama are betting a lot more money than the people who are betting Auburn, which is what we call the Sharps, the guys who look at this, they study this, they know what they're doing, they are right more than they are wrong. It's not looking good for Auburn. It's not looking good for Auburn. I hit on it a little bit. I think it's more, it might just be more of they see a value play here. They might see this as, let me grab this, and maybe Sharif Cooper gets announced that he doesn't play. And maybe the line creeps up more. Maybe it creeps up to around 13 or 14, and they're getting a three-point value, which you don't think that's that much. But, I mean, it, it can be the difference in Alabama covering or not based off of what that's line you point. look at. You can see that, I mean, they're 11 and 14. They're two different numbers. Three this could four. also be a heinously bad beat for them. If Sharif Cooper does play, though. Yeah, and that and they Sharif Cooper could play, and it could drop that line to around 8 or 9, and then they're sitting there looking with egg on their face. A Sharif Cooper could play, and Alabama could still come out and just absolutely blow this thing out of the water. I mean, they might be looking at this from a defense perspective that Auburn hasn't been the best defensive team this year. Alabama, one of the better offensive teams when they're on, and you could see them come out and just absolutely light it up tonight, regardless if Sharif Cooper plays or not. I can see I can see why this is the way it is. I'm I'm hesitant to think that Auburn is going to keep it within 11 points just based off of what I'm seeing with these numbers right now. You think Auburn's going to get blown out tonight? Just ba- just based off of what I'm looking at just purely from a numbers perspective. That is nothing from that and when I say numbers just from watching that line and that trend. I'm Being not an objective. At, I understand. Yeah, I'm not looking at it from that's not me looking at stats. That's not me looking at who's playing or who's not. Just right now, at this very moment, looking at where that line is and how it has trended, 
and just viewing that as a completely objective, unbiased line that I'm looking at, it makes me believe that Auburn will get blown out tonight. The hopeful in me, I think Auburn comes out and plays with a lot of intensity. I'm hoping Shreve Cooper plays. I said earlier I don't think he will. Hope he does. Hope he plays. I think they come out with intensity. I hope they try. I think that Bruce Pearl can sell them on, hey, let's play spoilers. Let's let's spoil this. Let's make them win that next game. If you follow the Auburn basketball Twitter account, that was the video that was put up. Not using the term spoilers, but it's like Auburn's very much saying, hey, this is this could be a big win for us. Auburn could be 3-2 and two against ranked teams if they win tonight. They could go into next year with that talented roster, regardless if Sharif Cooper comes back or not next year, with the talented roster that they have, and beat at least either the winner or the co-winner of the SEC regular season, and potentially a team that has been sitting around a 1-3 to three line in the tournament. You could beat them, and oh, by the way, they're your biggest rival. They're across the state from you, and you want and you want to beat them at every turn. You feel like you let one get away at home that you were in to the very end of that game. I can see Auburn coming out with intensity today, and just thinking, "Let's do this. Let's let this is their championship game. This is their tournament." I see Auburn coming out with intensity. My question is, does it last for forty minutes because of the quick turnaround? You're three days removed yep. from playing one of your toughest games of the season from an energy standpoint. Auburn has to exert more on the defensive end now without Sharif Cooper on the floor. That's the only way Auburn wins this game. They've got to put Alabama in the 60s. I think even Bruce Pearl said that. This game's going to have to be below 70. They're going to have to put Alabama into the 60s, and Auburn is going to have to grind this thing out because Alabama will not let Auburn give a, get above 80. They're not. If this thing's in the 70s, Auburn's got a chance, maybe, just because Alabama plays a faster brand of basketball. They're a top 20 team in terms of Ken Palm's tempo ranking. So this thing might meander its way into the 70s just because there are more possessions. But this game needs to be ugly. Auburn needs to murky the water as much as possible. Make this ugly. Do not let them get into a rhythm. Don't let them start knocking down shots with consistency because if they do you're gonna get ran out of t-town I think you need to slow the game down I think you really do which is why it's wild to think that from you know a lot of people have that perception that a Bruce Pearl team is all tempo but they're honestly a little bit more of a balance team you've hit those stats most my of the counter time. to that though is and this team is 40th in the tempo ranking since Reef Cooper came it just skyrocketed and they True. wanted to play at a faster pace my counter to that is if you're playing a slower brand of basketball, your efficiency on the offensive end exponentially has to increase. Like it has to be that much better or else you're going to lose. That's true. And Auburn is not an efficient team on the offensive end of the floor right now. So I don't think that Auburn's focus is necessarily on tempo in this game. Auburn's fine with running the floor. Now I did bring up a point yesterday where they don't have a whole lot of depth right now if Sharif Cooper doesn't Does play. play they don't have a whole lot of guard depth and a lot of forwards are going to be playing and Auburn's forwards don't necessarily run the floor well from a defensive standpoint but I digress from an offensive standpoint this team is at its best when it's getting out and running so I don't know if Auburn necessarily wants to slow this game down I think just Auburn from a defensive perspective they they have to be 100% on their P's and Q's have to be crossing their T's. They have to be dotting their I's. They have to be locked in on every play. They can't take 
breaks. They, they can't, can't, they can't take, take a couple runs off. They cannot take possessions, runs. They can't, they can't just – they can't be out of position. You have to sit there. You have to make – Limit penetration, keep them on the perimeter, make them take contested threes, make th- like grind them out on the defensive side of the ball. They will have to be – they will have to play their best defensive game in the season to win tonight. If they're making threes, you better hope that they're making tough contested threes. You want to be the – I won't fault Auburn if, if that happens. Anybody who's played basketball – either at high school, collegiate, professional, or even just playing at the rec, playing Sometimes at a rec or a gym. Sometimes the offense is just better, my man. Everybody, I've, I've been at the gym plenty of times where I felt like I had the dude dead to rights. Puts up a shot and he makes it, and I just look at him and I'm like, there's nothing I could do in you that situation. You could draw on his face your hand was so close to it. And he still, still makes draining. the shot. That's what, exactly. Al- that, that's what you want to see out of Auburn's defense. If, if Alabama's going to be making threes and making shots, you want them to make those shots – Contested. They they got to be up in their. They got you see the contested shot on NBA 2K. They got to hit green to put it in there. The other thing that Auburn has to do well tonight in order to win, they have to win the free throw battle. Unfortunately, they're on the road. That never goes the home team's way. But Auburn does have the ability to draw a lot of free throws. They drew 37 against Tennessee this past weekend. They did it at home. But they did draw 37 to Tennessee's 10. Alabama doesn't shoot it. I mean, we saw what happened against, uh, was it Arkansas? Arkansas was what, 40 something to eight? It was just a business. It was like a 40, 40 free throw difference. But right why there. was it that way? Because Alabama's sitting out on the three point line and not as aggressive at getting to the rack as maybe Arkansas is. Arkansas's not as good of a three point shooting team. They attack the bucket line. They got a lot of slashers. And that would be something that Auburn rewarded. could do. That was something that Auburn could do, too. They got some guys who can drive and get their shot at the basket. You have guys who can play inside like Jalen Williams, JT Thor. And maybe just that. Maybe just something as simple as getting to the free throw line maybe can take Alabama off the rhythm offensively, having to stop the game at repeatedly. those junctions. Yeah, repeatedly. Maybe Even if you're not making them, you want to make them, obviously. you got to make the free ones. And buckle up because I, I think we've all became accustomed – to Auburn-Alabama basketball games having 60-plus free throws combined. Nice. I'm just prepared for it. It's a two-and-a-half-hour it, it like basketball it game. Every, uh, it feels like it happens every time. Every yeah. time. I am well prepared for that type of ball game tonight, as it typically is. That was the first time. They were like 50, 60-something free throws in that first game, maybe even more than that. I'm expecting another similar type of game tonight. I'm just hoping Auburn – on that side of things, and Auburn fans should be hoping that they win that free throw battle. Because if they do, that is going to equalize the threes. They'll offset each other. If you can make your free throws, that'll offset some threes. If you play with intensity, I think that bridges the gap from this veteran talent perspective that Alabama has right now over this Auburn team as it's currently structured. It's going to be really hard to do that. It's an uphill battle, man. It's an uphill battle for Auburn Auburn's going to have to win the free throw makes category by a substantial margin to offset what Alabama's going to do on offense, which I expect to be a lot more efficient than Auburn because Alabama's a great defensive team. Auburn is, has been an inefficient offensive team, and Alabama is a pretty good offensive team when they're on, and Auburn's defense allows teams to be on a lot of times. But Auburn's defense, if they're locked in, they exert focus and intensity on the defensive end of the floor – Maybe they can hold Alabama at bay enough to put them off their game, put this thing in the 60s or 70s, and then free throws. If Auburn could dominate that category enough, they can pull the upset. That's how you do it. You do it with the free throws. Auburn's going to have to play defense without fouling to make sure that that margin is large enough, to make sure that gap is large enough to be between the two teams. And then Auburn's going to have to go and figure out a way to get fouled. 
We'll see if that works their way. Unfortunately, if this thing was at home, I'd be a whole lot more keen to say that Auburn could achieve that, especially after what they did against Tennessee on Saturday, because they did that. This was the exact game plan against Tennessee. Unfortunately, you're going on the road and you don't get those calls on the road. No, you especially get, that, you get home cooking. You get home cooking. You don't get it when you're on the road. Especially when this team is the SEC's darling this year. That they're going to want this team to truth. win. They want this team to win. They want this team to make the conference look good. That's that's just how it is. They're going to get calls. It's the same way that in the NFL, Tom Brady gets all the calls. They're <laughs> they're the darling this year of the SEC. They want them to succeed. They're going to get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. You're on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up the show here, our last segment of the show, coming up in about seven minutes. We'll be getting out of here, and then at the top of the hour at 4 p.m., you'll have The Drive with Bill Cameron, like you do every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m., following on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Bill and Dan will take your calls They'll keep you up to date on all that's going on with Auburn Athletics and beyond in the sports world once again from 4 to 6 p.m. That's The Drive with Bill Cameron. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. The story of Olympic track star and World War II veteran Louis Zamperini is told in Unbroken at 7 on AMC. Sometimes people get roped into adventures they didn't sign up for. Some may call that an accident, others may call it destiny. Well, it's something in the Lego movie at 7.15 on IFC. Robin Hood is on Sci-Fi at 7.30. Get ready for this college basketball slate as we barrel toward the end of the regular season. At 5.30 on SEC Network, South Carolina host number 12 Arkansas. On ESPN at 6 we've got a top 4 matchup with two potential 1 seeds. Number 4 Illinois at number 2 Michigan. Over on ESPN 2 at the same time catch Auburn at number 8 Alabama. At 7 on Big Ten Network Indiana is at Michigan State. At 7.30 on SEC Network Vanderbilt at LSU. Moving to 8 number 25 Wisconsin at number 23 Purdue on ESPN 2 and on ESPN Kentucky at Ole Miss. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up on the line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's take a look at the college basketball slate to see what's on the line in college That's basketball. A but loaded slate tonight. But first, let's pick that Auburn-Alabama basketball game. I, I, I gotta, I'm going with Alabama. I, I just don't think that Auburn can get it done tonight. I think that they're going to be outmatched. I think it's. I don't think it's going to be close, honestly. Again, just looking from that line perspective, I think Alabama's going to come in, and I think – I think they're going to win this ball game, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I want to believe that Auburn will win this game because I do think Auburn, there, there's something about this ball game that typically brings the best out of these two programs. I hope that's the case, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. Regardless of how bad they may be in one year, I'm looking at Auburn right now. I could see Auburn playing their best game of basketball tonight. I could see them play their best first half of basketball tonight. The question is, do they put together two of their best halves of the season? Because that's what it's going to take to win this ballgame. And making it ugly, and everything that I said in that previous segment, this Alabama team, it's still, like I just said, this is a game that brings the best out of, keyword here, both teams. And recently, it's felt like it's brought the best out of Alabama more than it's brought the best out of Auburn, at least when I'm looking at Auburn over the last two basketball seasons. And so I'm thinking Alabama's going to win this game because if their best is on this is on the same floor as Auburn's best, that's enough to win this game still by 10 to 20, 30 points. 
I don't know what that range looks like. I don't know if Alabama covers tonight. I don't even want to get into that. I don't want to sit here and think that Auburn's going to get blown out because I do think Auburn's going to be up there in terms of one of their better performances of the season. If they played their best performance, they've got a chance, regardless of whether or not Sharif Cooper plays. And I hope that's accurate. I hope that's what happens. I'm not even that focused on whether or not Sharif Cooper plays tonight. We talked about it today, but I'm not even that focused about it. I don't think Sharif Cooper has to play for Auburn to win this game. I think it's more important that Alabama plays bad on offense than Sharif Cooper plays for Auburn. I think it's more important because Vanderbilt almost beat Alabama. South Carolina almost beat Alabama. Mississippi State scored 59 points and almost beat Alabama. That's, a, that's, that's really fair. That's a very fair point. You, you need Alabama to have, have a bad offensive performance, whether that comes from them beating themselves, missing shots, or it comes from the Auburn defense actually locking them down. That, I mean, that might be a far cry. We've seen the Auburn defense so far this year, but if Alabama has a poor performance on offense, whatever the case is, Auburn will have a shot in this game. I just don't know if that's going to happen. I'm hopeful. I'd love to see Auburn win this game. I just do not think it's going to happen. I think it's more likely that Alabama writes the ship. They're due. They're due to pop off. They've had three games where they haven't played well on offense. I think they're due to kind of pop off again on an offensive standpoint. They're shooting at their own glass. They're shooting at their own buckets with their own backdrop. That makes a big difference for an offensive team that's struggling and they're getting the motivator that is Auburn basketball coming to their place. And with the way that Auburn has dominated the team from across the state in basketball under Bruce Pearl, the way that they have changed the shape and the outlook of the rivalry, it would probably please Nate Oates and Alabama nothing more than to sweep Auburn this year. And I think all of those factors baked into this ball game. It's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good fun ball game to watch. If Auburn can put two good halves together, it'll it'll be respectable. It'll be a close game. But I think Alabama, at the end of the day, will pull it out and win this basketball game against Auburn. Other games happening in college basketball coming up in six minutes. This is a big one. This is a game that was rescheduled. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a postponed game. Four o'clock on ESPN. You get to see West Virginia and Baylor square off six-ranked Mountaineers at the third-ranked Baylor Bears, who are coming off a loss, but after a COVID suspension, and we'll see if that kind of lingers for them, though. I think it might. This. I, West Virginia, I could easily see West Virginia winning this game. I mean, you have a Baylor Bears team that didn't look great against Kansas for the most part. It's understandable. They came off that COVID break. We've seen teams struggle off of that. Villanova did it earlier this year, one that comes to mind. And West Virginia's hot. Yeah, West Virginia's hot. You have a Baylor team that might not be at full – I don't want to say strength in terms of health, just strength in terms of they haven't been able to practice. They might be just a little discombobulated going into this game, kind of like they were against Kansas because, again, second road trip against the top team. I could easily see the Mountaineers winning this game. I think they actually pull it off and win this game. If West Virginia wins this game, it further solidifies them as a two-seed potentially. They moved up onto that line where we've seen them as a three or a four for a lot of this. The SEC teams falling helped them a little bit. Missouri's nowhere to be seen anymore amongst those top teams in the country, whereas they were in that original top 16 team bracket that the NCAA tournament committee put out about a month ago, it seems now. Wow, it's been a... it's. It, Maybe a couple weeks. Maybe it hasn't been a month yet, but it's time has flown Does through it, this season at the end of the year. So what happens if Baylor loses? Do they do they fall out of that number, like the number two, number one seed? Is that do they fall out of that? What what are we getting into with that? How, it could be a big shakeup for the college basketball seeding going into the I, NCAA tournament. I don't think three Big Ten teams get one seeds, so I think Baylor's still pretty safe as a one seed. You have to look; they're eighteen and one. Yeah. I don't think a slide here will will move them out of that one line. 
That does it for another edition of On the Line. You got the drive with Bill Cameron coming up at 4 p.m. Stay here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.